Oklahoma, and uh, he's always talking about how much drought, how dry it is there. And uh, I can't imagine living in a place that's always dry. And uh, so when they get a, a shower, he, he always mentions, oh, we're getting a little bit of rain, but it'll always just enough to, it's kind of like enough to wet, wet the whistle, but not enough to quench the thirst kind of thing. And, um, but, uh, you know, that song reminds us is we need showers, don't we? And uh, just the outpouring of God's spirit is the, is the picture that uh, the Bible gives of, of what, uh, you know, the, the dryness that even we, we experience as Christians sometimes uh, is something that God is, you know, God is one who who's pours out his spirit because he wants us to have uh, a deep joy. And that joy is really the, the showers, the, the expression of the showers and the, the showers actually fertilize and, and, and help the ground uh, produce food and uh, plants well. Um, those showers also, the showers of God's spirit produces a lot of joy in the Christian life. And so um, uh, Billy Sunday had an old saying, and I don't follow Billy Sunday on a lot of things. He was an old, old time preacher, but he said this, is that he says, if there's no joy in your Christianity, there's, or no, no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. So uh, I always thought about that because, you know, one of the things about Christianity, you know, as we, as we think about what it means to be a Christian and how to live the Christian life, is that there's three things that the Bible says about the kingdom of God that should that's evident. He said there's three things that, that the kingdom of God not, was, was not in eating and drinking, but is in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's those three things that Satan seeks to counterfeit in the, in the world. Think about the things that he, he's, he's a counterfeiter, and he's a good counterfeiter. Uh, and he makes it look, he makes a lot of things look like the real thing, but they're not. But righteousness, peace, and joy is the only thing that true righteousness, peace, and joy can produce is only God can do that. And, and of course, as we open the word, that's what uh, Paul, Paul gets back to this, this joy stuff. And I wonder why, because I believe that in the Christian life, probably the greatest witness and testimony of the church is the joy that we have in our relationship with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as uh, we continue this theme. Because you think, well, Paul's going to switch his uh, thinking here and he's going to go on to something else. But he really isn't because uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look uh, here at the first three, nine verses here. It's a little bit uh, overwhelming in some ways, because, but, but his main theme, again, if you get back to what he said in chapter 2, as he says, you know, and even chapter 1, he's talking about, about joy. And 12 times he mentions in this book, joy, rejoice, uh, and all of those things. And, that's, and when you stop to think about your Christian life, think about the struggles we have in the Christian life and how easy it is for our joy to get kind of quenched. And we just go through the motions. You know, have you ever said that? Well, I'm just going through the motions. Well... That's what happens sometimes in our Christian life. And Paul knows that, so notice what he does in verse 1. And these are, uh, uh, this is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's, a, it's safe for you. In other words, it's a safeguard for you for him to mention this again. He, he keeps mentioning it. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things that count them and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And we're going to stop there, and we'll pick back up with uh, verse 10 next week, but uh, let us pray. Father, as we come to your word, it's uh, just a good reminder for us this morning, Lord, to, uh, to realize how much joy um, you intend for us to have in our Christian life. And Father, we know that there are a lot of things that... Uh, work against joy, but Lord, Lord, the joy that you're talking about is not a superficial joy. It's a, uh, it's a joy that uh, flows from a relationship with your son, Jesus. And Father, I just ask for the needs of your, your children this morning, and we've heard some of those requests, and they've been prayed for, but Lord, we just lift up each need here today, and we lift up the need of uh, this one neighbor who uh, Father uh, is not sure about the cancer uh, thing, but uh, uh, diagnosis, but we do pray for them. And we pray that, uh, Lord, for the testimony and the witness of this church, as, as uh, Father, people know that uh, they could ask for prayer and that uh, people will pray for them. And we thank you for our high priest who prays, uh, Father, for us. He lives to make intercession for each one of us individually, personally. And we thank you, Lord, that he never forgets one of his sheep. And we give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When somebody says alert, what do you do? Or they say alert, alert, alert. You kind of perk up and pay attention, don't you? I mean, that's, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's, he's actually, it's almost like he pulls the fire alarm in school. You know what happens when that, I hope kids don't do that. But I know a few kids that did that when I was in school and got in trouble because uh, once you pull that fire alarm, what happens? You know, you learn the drill. You're supposed to, you know, you, you march out of the school as quickly as possible and you've, you've practiced that. Well, Paul's in a way pulling the fire alarm and he's using this idea that as Christians, sometimes we get so comfortable with the culture and the things that are going on around us and the things that we hear that we forget that we still have to stand on guard and be careful. And so Paul's theme of Philippians is joy. And he's, and he's been saying, he's been talking about things that mess with your joy. Think about, do circumstances mess up your joy sometimes? I mean, you know, Paul's in prison, of course. But Paul says, you know, his circumstances, that our circumstances sometimes have a way of interfering with the joy that God intends for us to have in the Christian life. And, and then he goes on and talks about uh, other things that are caused uh, joy, relationships that aren't right, that uh, messes up with our joy. 
and then, he, then he'll talk about um, other things here. But in chapter 3, he really wants to focus on one particular thing that we need to be alert to, and that is false teaching. I mean, he's, he's even going to mention, in fact, he, he uses some pretty strong language here. I don't know about, when, you, when somebody says, look out for dogs, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh, you're kind of thinking, okay, I mean, he's, he's not just saying, look out. It's the, it's the word, it's almost like he's saying, you got to, this is really dangerous. And he uses uh, language that uh, we might say, well, you know, he's being a little bit over, overreactive here. And yet, as we look at the text, we're going to see that Paul has a reason for doing that because uh, there are things that, that they were teaching that undermines the joy that we will experience in the Lord. Because we're, as uh, the Christian life, it's like this, is that there's this relationship that we're to, we have with Christ, and that's through grace. And what false teaching does is wants us to get us to rejoice in our performance, so that if we take our eyes off Jesus and start saying, well, Lord, you know, I did this for you. You should be doing this for me. Guess what happens? Our joy just dissolves like that because, well, Lord, I should be treated better because I'm a Christian and, and I've, been, I've been going to church and I've been tithing and I've been doing all these things. And all of a sudden, we've, we've, we've kind of we've refocused our thinking. And that when we do that and we, we stop rejoicing and giving thanks and living a life of joy in the Lord. So, so Paul's basically saying, don't get caught off guard. There's danger. And he's going to give us, he's going to alert us for three things here that I want us to, to think about in this text. And, they're, and they're, they're, the first one is really, um, he tells us to be alert for these false teachers. Notice that in verse 2. Now, he's talking about joy, and he's saying, safe. I want to mention this again, but he says, I want you to, I want you to look out for these, uh, these dogs. He calls them dogs, and that seems like a kind of a derogatory term, right? It's not like, look out for your little pets. These are vicious dogs. These are like junkyard dogs. These were the kind of dogs that ran around in, you know, usually packs. And I don't know if you've ever run up on a pack of dogs, but if you do, you better be ready to, um, <laughs> you either, you, 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 you know that those dogs will, will attack you if there's more than one or two, especially if they're vicious dogs. So Paul is basically telling us that we need to be alert to take seriously this danger that comes from religious robbers. You know, there are people who are, are that teach, uh, that even preach, that will preach another Jesus. It'll be Jesus plus this will justify you before God. Jesus plus circumcision, they said, would justify you, would save you. Jesus plus if, now you have to be baptized in order to be saved. There's baptismal regeneration. That, that would be adding to the gospel. In other words, anything that a person adds to Jesus to be justified or to be saved, he's basically saying, you know, that's a distortion of the gospel. But he doesn't, you know, treat it kind of like he doesn't say, well, you know, at least they're trying their best. He's saying, no, this is really, really he says, you know, this is dangerous. What they're teaching is dangerous. And it's, he says, it's safe for me to tell you this. He says, but look out. Or uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, he's trying to get us to discern the danger that's out there uh, to the Christian life. And, he, and he's not, because what happens is that if, it's kind of like our thinking gets shifted from 
trusting and resting in Christ's work alone, and all of a sudden we began to trust in our work and what we've done for God as being our basis for our comfort and our peace and our justification. So, so he's basically saying, beware. So when you see a beware of dog sign, what do you typically do? Do you run? <laughs> or do you look and see? You know, a lot of times people will say, beware of dog, and there's this little tiny mutt. And you're going like, ah, you know, I'm not going to be too, I'm not going to be afraid of a little mutt, right? But if that, what comes to the door is a Doberman, and he's this high, and he's, you know, he's drooling, you're going like, okay, I've got to beware. I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock on that door. Um, those were the doors that I would take dad. Dad would have me going out uh, sharing. The, he would basically say, I want you to invite people to church. And so I'd go out as a kid, and I would uh, leave a track. But when I saw a house with a dog, I always made an airplane, and I flew it onto the porch, and then I went on. And Dad said, did you get all the houses? I said, yes, I got them all. Now, I don't know what happened to that airplane, but they got the gospel. You know, they, they got a gospel track. And, uh, but, but Paul is basically, he's using harsh language, but Jesus did the same thing. Remember that when he said, beware of the Pharisees. Uh, he, said, he said, their teaching will be, uh, it, it'll be the kind of thing that it'll sound religious, but if you really get down to it, it's really a form of righteousness that's derived from just externals. In other words, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. I must be okay with God. And so Paul is, Paul is warning us. Uh, he, he knows that, uh, that that's going to happen. Notice he uses some, uh, some very harsh language when he calls them butchers. They mutilate the flesh. You say, well, you know, I, I don't understand this. Why, why, is Paul, why is Paul being so, uh, why is he labeling people that are preaching a false gospel? And yet that's happening. It happens so, so much, uh, so easily. Uh, even in our own, you know, we think, well, you know, that doesn't happen to, that much to us today. But, but Paul's basically putting up a warning sign saying, yeah, it does happen. Uh, we put warning labels on what? Medicine? Why do we do that? If you take it wrong, it's dangerous. And if you, and if you take, uh, and so warning labels are good. And he's putting a warning labor on the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people like this. They were basically, they professed Christianity, but then they would follow Paul around and they said, well, now Jesus is okay, but you need to be circumcised. You need to go follow all the ceremonial law. You need to do this, this, and this in order to be right with God. But, and, and even in like, like the Galatians, and uh, Greg, you're teaching on Galatians. That's what they're teaching in Galatians, right? And Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? He's basically, you've been bewitched, you've been taken. And he's saying, he said, are, being, being, are you, do you come to Christ by the Spirit and then all of a sudden you are made, made righteous by the law? So even in Christianity, sometimes we, we say, well, I know I'm saved by God's grace, but I have to work in order for God, I have to work in order to earn God's favor and to make me acceptable with God. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's, that's adding to the gospel. You're distorting the gospel. And he calls these people vicious dogs. He calls them butchers. He's saying, you know, you're, you know, you're teaching a form of righteousness that's basically dependent on somebody's efforts, their performance. Um, it's like uh, we do resumes, right? What do we use resumes for? 
we, you know, they tell you, you know, when you get a job, and Jennifer, you had, to, you had to do a resume probably to get your job, right? All your references and all those things. Uh, but, 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 you know, we think that God works the same way, right? That we have to build our resume with God in order for God to accept us. That's what they're teaching, see? If you can kind of think of it as a resume, is they're saying, you know, Jesus is okay, but he's just one thing that you have to add on your resume. But the most important thing on that resume is the stuff that you've accomplished and you've done. And that will earn you merit with God. And that message, although it's, uh, it sounds good, and, it, and it even, you know, there's a certain amount of truth, you know, well, it's not bad, but God doesn't operate like the world, right? That it's not our efforts, it's not our performance that earns us righteousness with God. It's what Christ himself did and his resume and his work on our behalf. Um, it, Paul, Paul mentions it in Acts 20. He says, uh, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And Paul's saying, you know, that's going to happen even in the church. It was happening in the churches at Philippi. It was happening at Galatia. It was happening in Colossae. Every church Paul planted, there were false teachers came back after him and tried to undermine the, uh, the, the gospel of God's grace. And, and, it's, and he's saying, you know, be watchful because once you, once you buy into their philosophy, then you lose your joy. Because your, your, your joy is, is based on a righteousness that you have from God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's called justification. And our sanctification flows out of that. Our walk with God flows out of that. Our works, the, the works that we do as Christians are really, if you can think of it, they justify our faith, but they don't justify our person, right? Our justification isn't before God, it's through faith in Christ. Our works just display whether our faith is trusting Christ alone for our salvation. And so he calls them some pretty strong names. And, you know, I don't, I, you know, I sometimes think, well, you know, why does Paul do that? Because, uh, you know, I think as Christians we want to love everybody and we want to accept people. And, and that's true. But he's just saying, you know, we cannot be naive and we can't be uh, deceived by the world. False doctrine will disconnect the Philippians from their true joy. And that's what he's, that's what he's aiming at here for us this morning. But, but he says something else as well. It's deceptive. Not only is it dangerous what they're teaching, he says it's deceptive. Notice verse 3. He's going to say, okay, the reason it's deceptive is for these three reasons. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he's saying really three things. He's saying, in other words, our focus is our worship is from the Spirit. We worship God in spirit and truth. It's, it's internal, not external, is what he's trying to say. In other words, our worship is not external, just merely, you know, we sing songs, but they're singing songs from the heart, right? We, we worship God, but we worship God by the spirit. It's, it's an internal thing. It's, it, it, it's, it's because of who we are and our relationship with God. And, and notice he says, and our boasting is not in what we did. See, you notice how he's trying to draw a distinction? If I'm, if I'm focused on my resume, I'm going to be what? Boasting about what I did. But who is, 
Paul uses this word boasting about 50 times in the New Testament. He says, I'm boasting in Jesus. So if, you, if somebody says they're a Christian and they never talk about Jesus, guess what? They might probably not. Because, you know, our boast, think about, um, you know, you boast in what you're really proud of. And, and Paul is saying, my boasting, he says, a true just, a person truly, a, a true believer is a person who's been circumcised. Their circumcision is internal. They're a true Jew. They might be a Gentile, but truly they're, they're, they're truly Jews by what God intended for Jewish people to be. They, they, they were to be people whose hearts had been changed by the gospel. And, and, and then he says, you know, they, that we, put, we boast in Christ Jesus. And notice that, and put no confidence in what? Yeah, in, in my performance is what he's saying. You know, in other words, I'm not putting my confidence in what I do to get me to heaven. I'm putting my confidence in what Jesus has already done. And, and you say, well, but I know that. I know the gospel, right? But what happens in your Christian life? You're having a bad day, and what's the first thing that Satan does? Or even your own flesh does? Well, I, might, I wonder if I'm a, I'm a believer because I'm just, you know, I'm having a hard day today. All of a sudden, we go back to, well, I'm, well did, did I do something to displease God? Maybe, maybe I'm not even a believer. And, and then we begin to question, well, does a believer ever have doubts and fears? Does a believer ever struggle in their Christian faith? I, I usually tell people, we'll read the Psalms. <laughs> David's constantly struggling. Um, but, but, but the confidence, in other words, he's saying, look, my confidence is not in my resume. That doesn't make me right with God. What, what makes me right with God is my standing in Christ and what Christ has already accomplished for me. And what false teaching does is it tries to get you to focus on something you do in order for you to begin to brag about what you've done for Jesus. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's about man's performance rather than God's performance. And what happens in, that, in those cases is that Paul's saying, now that will steal your joy real quick. In fact, that was happening in Philippi. And it happened in Colossae. They were preaching a different gospel. They were saying, Jesus plus your visions makes you right with God. Jesus plus your, uh, your mystic experiences make you right with Jesus. And all of a sudden, people are, what? You begin to, you begin to focus on the person's resume. And then all of a sudden, that becomes more important than their relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the, so, so Paul's trying to, he's trying to basically saying, yeah, this is really something to take seriously, but be always focused on this one thing, who Jesus really is. And so that's what he goes on and say this next, in this next section is Paul says, okay, well, let's just say we have confidence in the flesh. He says, I'll stack my resume up against the Judaizers any day, and then I'll tell you what I think about my resume. So he's going to give you a picture of, B.C., before conversion, and then A.D., after deliverance. So Paul's going to, so this next section in verses 5 through 9, he's basically saying, now, before Christ, you know, before I was converted and I knew Christ as my Savior, he said, look at, look at my resume. And notice verse 4. Though I myself also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, 
again, repeating what he said in verse 3, I have more, circ- I have more confidence circumcised on the eighth day. He's basically saying, I'm an eighth dayer. I'm a real Jew. You know, as I was a baby on the eighth day, I got, I, you know, I got circumcised according to the law. I, got, I, I followed the rules. And all the Judaizers couldn't say that because some of them had come to faith later on in life. Uh, or they had, you know, been circumcised later on in life because they were like Gentiles that had become Jews. Um, and then he says, and not, so notice, notice he's basically saying, I'm of the people of Israel. Uh, he's, his, he's focusing on his religious heritage. Um, in other words, he's a true Israelite, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, he's, a, he's, a, uh, he's a true Israelite that, that has followed the law of God, that has the promises of God. Uh, in other words, he has, a, he has a, a religious heritage. You know, we have a religious heritage, right? This country was built on what? Religious freedom. But you know, that religious freedom doesn't save me. Now, it's good that I have that freedom because I get to hear the gospel. But in reality, only, that, only if what I believe is the gospel is only the only thing that makes me right with God. So Paul's saying, if I want to brag about my religious heritage, I could. And I could even do that with the Judaizers because I'm a true Israelite. Uh, not only that, he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, I've got a really impressive family history. You ever hear people say, well, you know, I, my dad was, well, I can say that. My great-great-granddad was a Methodist circuit rider. You know, my dad was a preacher. My, my great-uncle, who was like my dad, he, or my granddad, was a preacher. I'm a preacher. But, you know, that doesn't make any difference with God, does it? Just because you're a preacher doesn't, you know, if it actually it makes it harder because <laughs> you, you know that you're, you know, you're even more responsible. Uh, but the point is, is you can't, you're not, God doesn't justify you based on your credentials. Uh, Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I've been, he was, he, basically what he's saying, he says, I'm, I'm of the, the purest lineage of the Jews that you could have at that point. And then, and then he goes on and says, and not only that, he says um, that he was um, a Pharisee. In other words, he, he followed the law. He read, he read the scriptures. In fact, he probably memorized. He, well, most of the Jews, especially the Pharisees, they had already memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy. And they probably could quote you the Psalms and Isaiah by my memory. And you're thinking like, you know, he, he knows the scriptures. But he's saying, you know, even as a, as a, as a Pharisee, and, and he, he said, I know all these things. He said, but if I'm going to put my, my record against yours, he says, now if there's any... There, there's no doubt I could, I, could, I could brag on that, but he says, I'm not going to. And then he, then he noticed, he says, and he's very zealous. Notice his zeal. He says, he was a zeal. He was a persecutor of the church. He didn't, in other words, he wasn't a half-hearted believer. He, he, uh, he, he put 100% into what he said he believed. In fact, to the point that he even persecuted the church. I mean, in fact, uh, when Paul was saved in Acts 9, you know what he was doing? He was going to Antioch to arrest Christians, to throw men and women in prison. And the idea there is that he was going to have them killed. Now, so here, here is the, the enemy of the church going to, going to Antioch, and God lays hold of Paul and opens his eyes to the gospel, and all of a sudden Paul's, Paul's blind. 
And then Paul, and Paul believes in the gospel. And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm, I'm the one you're persecuting. You're killing Christians. You're, you're, you're attacking the body of Christ. And so Paul, in his, in his, you might say, in his last hour of antagonism was trying to destroy the church. And God gave him a new heart. Now, that's powerful, right? Because you're saying, well, he must have had a real conversion, but you know, everyone that comes to faith in Christ alone through faith alone is justified the same way Paul is justified. Now, I might not have that dramatic conversion experience, but if I'm, but by faith alone, I'm trusting in Christ alone and his righteousness and his performance alone. Guess what? I'm saved just as much as Paul's saved. I have the same Jesus the same Savior, the same religion. In other words, I may not be able to say, well, you know, I had this great religious experience. I didn't. Grew up in a Christian home. I heard the gospel. I was taken to church every Sunday. I heard the gospel every week. Uh, but at one point in my life, I realized I needed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that he alone was able to do that. And I couldn't trust in anything that I'd ever done. And you say, but... You know, it's not like I had a big life of sin to, to worry about. It was just that I hadn't trusted Christ. In other words, I could do, Paul's basically saying I could take my whole resume and I say I have everything to brag about on my resume, but the one thing Paul didn't have is what? He didn't have Jesus Christ. And that's the very thing that we have to have to be saved. So you could have all this religious stuff, all this, you know, all these, all these things that are impressive and yet be lost. He even said he was, uh, he said he, he even obeyed, he was, he was blameless before the law of God. Now, he's talking about the ceremonial law, of course. In other words, he, he you know, he was very particular about obeying, but he, was, but he was totally lost. Notice what he says here in the next section in verse 7. But notice what he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So what, so you can think about it, if you have a bank account and it's zero, you go, okay, I know I'm broke. But Paul's basically saying more than just law. He's basically saying my, my balance sheet, if you, looked at my, if you looked at my balance sheet, I thought all I had was assets. All I had was money in the bank. And Paul's saying no, but in reality, not only is it not zero, I've been overdrawing my count. Now, uh, you know what happens when you overdraw your account? You get a 35, well, it used to be $35. What is it now? I, I have no idea what it is. But anyway, uh, you know, you get, a, you, get a, uh, you get a little notice in the bank, and it says you've overdrawn your account, and you get a $35 charge. That really puts me in the hole. So whatever you overdrew your account with, plus the $35, and then they hit you with another two or three or four. And, you know, and by the time you go in and look at it, and you go like $250, no, $250 uh, overdrawn. And you're going like, well, you, you charged me like six times because my account kept, you know, I kept getting these little small checks. Yeah, but $35 for each time. Now, um, a lot of banks have debt forgiveness, right? One time. I think they'll let you do that as a student. I remember because my son asked me to do this for me. I went to the bank. He had like two, his, like a deficit of about $300 or $400. So uh, anyway, we go into the bank and they said, well, we'll do the one thing, the deficit reduction or whatever, actually, it's, that's kind of a bogus. It's just a term. But in reality, you end up paying it all off anyway. But the point is, is that they zero his account out so he can use it, right? 
Now that's forgiveness. That's what it means to be forgiven, that God takes my balance down to zero. But justification is something more. God then takes the righteousness of Christ, his goodness, and puts it on my, my account. And so he wipes out the, the, the liabilities, and he puts Christ's riches on my account. That's justification. And that's all a legal thing that God does through what Christ did on the cross. It's not something that I have to feel. It's something that, in other words, what, it's, it's like this, I call it, um, it's, it's a kind of a double transfer. God transfers my sin to Jesus on the cross, and, and he dies for me. And then God transfers Jesus' righteousness and puts that on my account. And so I have righteousness before God, not my righteousness, because my righteousness is that resume that equals not only zero. Paul actually goes on and says it's refuse. Um, he'll go on to say that not only, indeed, I count everything lost, but then he goes on, notice in verse, uh, uh, he, right there in verse 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and he counts them as refuse, as dung. He says, not only do I not, is it not zero, not only is it not a liability, he says, it's, it's, it's just, it's refuse. It's crap. It's, it's, in other words, you just you flush it to, down the toilet. He said all that right. He's not saying that it, doesn't, that it doesn't have any meaning, but he says when it comes to my righteousness and standing before God, it means nothing. And, and, and that's why Paul's boasting, see? That's why Paul says, I boast in the cross because everything I have as a Christian, my standing before God, my relationship before God is totally dependent upon what Christ has done for me. And so I don't have to, I don't have to wonder when things go wrong in my life, well, it must be something that I did wrong to offend God that I'm going through this trial in my life. Because if I have his righteousness, I have his robe of righteousness, what happens? I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm a son and daughter of God. I'm in the family. And because of that, Paul's saying, all that stuff that I was depending on for my salvation is all rubbish. It's, it's, it's worthless. In fact, it's, I'm not, and, Paul basically, and Paul basically did lose all of that reputation, right? I mean, the Jews, basically, they tried to kill him after he, after he started uh, preaching the gospel and started following uh, what, what he was convicted. He, he basically, when he realized that his record was a record, was Christ's record, for him, then the Jews began to persecute. Um, Tim Keller says this. It's an interesting comment, but I, I, I wrote it down because I, wanted, I didn't want to mis, misquote him. He says, most people think of sin as failing to keep God's rules of conduct. But while it's not less than that, Jesus' definition of sin goes beyond it. Religious people, and that includes all of us to a certain degree, often live very moral lives, but their goal is to get leverage over God, to control Him, to put Him in a position where they think God owes them. But despite all their ethical piety, they are actually rebelling against His authority. If you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey Him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper he may be your example and even your inspiration, but he's not your savior. 
and then he goes on to say this, that, um, you know, if you meet a person who's working hard at their religion, they tend to be angry and critical. Now, do you know any angry and critical people that have a lot of joy? Especially judgmental people? And part of the reason is there's the feeling of deep anger is because they believe that they lived a good life and therefore they should get a good life in return. So you see what happens, the shift, it may, may not, we may not believe that gospel for, you know, for salvation, but guess what happens? And a lot of times as Christians, we start thinking in those terms. Well, you know, I, I, I've, been a Christian for, I've been a Christian for 40 some years, no, 50 some years, uh, almost 50 years. Uh, well, Lord, I, I, I've been a Christian for that long, that should count for something, right? I mean, think, if I got everything from Christ when he saved me, what more is there to receive from Christ? Right? And we equate the good life as if that means a life of no trials, no struggles, no difficulty. And God's saying, that's not Christianity. That is not, the Joel Olstein Christianity is just one big fake. You know, follow me, give me two years of your life and you'll, you'll be rich and famous and wealthy. I mean, that kind of stuff, people actually believe it. I mean, I've met people that, that attend his church and they basically say, yeah, we just, we're giving him two years of our life. And boy, you know, he said, he's promised that, you know, if we do that, we're going to, you know, my business is really going to take off. My house is going to get all be paid for. My car, my debts. I mean, I'm just going to be, man, I'm going to be living it up, boy, because guess what? God's going to really bless me. Now, that's a false gospel, but there's people that are, they're, I mean, those churches are, they're bursting at the seams with those kinds of thinking. Paul's not wrong in telling us to beware, is he? I mean, he's putting up beware of dog sign right in front of the Judaizers and say, beware. And you go like, well, but they're religious. They got religious robes on. They do religious things. And they, they, they even smile big. And you're going like, so? <laughs> But what do they preach? Do they preach a gospel that is for every person, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ alone, in faith alone, in Jesus Christ is justified? And there's not anything to be added to that. And your sanctification, our growth as a Christian flows out of that. What happens, I believe, that in the, in the Philippian church, it's happened in my life, is when I start focusing on my performance as a pastor or my performance as a Christian or, or my, uh, the things that I was doing for God, and all of a sudden, I got to thinking, well, Lord, I deserve for you to do something for me a little bit, right? And we start getting angry and upset and frustrated with God. And I think a lot of Christians are just angry with God because he's not coming through for them. And I'm going like, what do you mean he doesn't come through for you? He's given you the riches of Christ. That means it, Christ perfectly obeyed the law. And if you're justified, God put that on your record. Now you take that to the bank. Amen. Take that to the bank. I can't add to that. I can't do better. I'm the, Lord, you know, why am I sitting around like moping around in my self-pity as a Christian thinking that I missed something in the Christian life when God says, look here, I poured out the riches of Christ on you in Jesus. So what else? 
we should be rejoicing, right? The kingdom of God is in what? Right, true righteousness, Christ's righteousness, true peace that flows out of our relationship and our justification with Christ, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. And guess what? What flows out of that peace and that righteousness? Joy. That's where I have to park every day is to go back to say, I need to grow not in my resume, but in grace. Peter, Peter, 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in what? Grow in your legalism. No. Grow in your self-righteousness. No. Grow in grace. And how does that apply for us? Like, Like, for example, so God says, receive one another as Christ received you. That is sanctification being worked out in your life. How do I receive another person as Christ receives me? He receives me by grace, right? I extend grace to other people. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Sanctification. I should be willing to forgive because God forgave. He wiped out my debt. I have no debts. All I have is the righteousness of Christ. Now, I may have debts in the world, but not the debt not eternal debts. Uh, or, for example, carry one another's burdens as Christ has, what? Carried our burdens. See, you're t- so, so basically we should live out of the gospel daily rather than thinking that God did something, God missed something along the way here. Go back to the gospel and say, how does God deal with me in forgiveness, in relationships, in, uh, and you can take that to, to, to your marriage. You can take that to the way you raise your kids. You take that to school and the way that you get along with other kids and so forth. You can take that in your business and how you relate to other people. And you say, well, how does God deal with me by grace? I'm supposed to extend that to other people, especially to other Christians. <laughs> I mean, think about all the one anotherings. Pray for one another, forgive one another, love one another as Christ loved you and died for you on the cross. Um, I, I wrote this down. It was a, it's a song that I, uh, I thought was really helpful. It says this. Uh, and, and the title of the song is it's in, by Indelible Grace. If you look it up, Indelible Grace. Upon a life I did not live. But notice the words. This was written by Charles Spurgeon, but it was put to song by uh, uh, Sandra McCracken and some others in Indelible Grace. Upon a life I have not lived. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, that's Christ, and another's death, that's Christ, I stake my whole eternity. My whole eternity. And then notice this. Not on my t- and the tears which I have shed, not on the sorrows that I have known, another's tears, another's griefs, on these I rest, on thee alone. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, another's death, another's life. And I'm... My whole eternity is resting right there. It's at the foot of the cross on what Christ has done. And that's what Paul's saying here, you know, that so what happens is God takes my rags of performance. They're rags, right? He said they're dung. That's rags. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I don't mess around with dirty rags, especially dung rags. Uh, I got a dog with, that I have to deal with that. Uh, so, I, so God takes my rags and, he, and he, he's taken those rags and actually he's taken the judgment of that on himself and he takes his robe of righteousness and he gives us a wedding dress. 
And all we're waiting for is the coming of Christ to do what? To celebrate at the wedding. And the question is, am I wearing the wedding dress? And as a, if you're a Christian, you're wearing the wedding dress already. <laughs> and all I'm waiting for is that I, I've got the robe of righteousness. It's given to me. It's called, it's called God declaring me righteous based on the merits and work of Christ for me. And everything in your Christian life ha- flows out of that. All your performance flows out of that. It's not performance to get right with God. It's performance because you are right with God. All the effort you put into your Christianity is not because I'm trying to get God. Now, like somebody told me, I put a little extra in the offering today. I hope that God will bless me. See, what I'm saying is that as a Christian, I fall back into legalism mode all the time, right? I get up in the morning and I think, well, it's all about what I do today. It's whether God's going to bless me or not. And Paul's saying, live out of the gospel. Live at the foot of the cross because at the foot of the cross, guess what happens when you at your foot of the cross? You know, you, you get down and at your foot of the cross, guess what? That's called humility because you're submitting to the authority of Christ and saying, nothing in my hands I bring, only to your cross I cling. That's humility. And that's what Paul's been preaching, right? Churches don't get break up because of, hum, because of humility. They break up because of pride. Where does pride come from? Whose resume does it come from? Well, I think you should do this because I did that. Churches break apart because of that. It's pride. And it's based on performance. It's not based on who Christ is. And it just, so, so my, my joy gets just totally wrecked every day when I go back to saying, Lord, you know, I think, you, I, think I deserve a little bit better from you. And, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit just gets quenched there. It doesn't, he doesn't, God doesn't take the Holy Spirit away from us, but it gets quenched, right? And all of a sudden we, we begin to think, you know, you, you see this expression on people, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I've been serving the Lord for these many years. And yeah, it's really tough. It's like, I'm sorry, but the world's not going to be impressed, you know? And that doesn't mean that we have to be superficial but we can be trusting God even in the sorrow and the sadness and the struggles. And, and I just wish, I, I mean, Paul is in prison. Brothers and sisters, he's in prison and he's facing death. And he's not saying, poor me. He's saying, look, I'm going to do everything that I can in order that you might grow in your joy in the Lord. And guess what? I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. And what does Paul do in Galatians 6? He says, and I will boast, I will boast in nothing else but this, Jesus Christ and him crucified, by which the world's been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. He says, bottom line, that's all I'm going to preach about. So every time he preached about marriage, guess what he preached about? Your marriage flows out of your relationship with Jesus Christ and the cross. When he preached about, you know, uh, you know he preached on uh, the gifts of the Spirit, guess what? Those are all rooted in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing, right? That's, that's the whole point of Paul. He's, he's saying, don't let anyone steal your joy. Don't, don't allow anyone to distract you and to start looking at your performance as if you deserve something other than what you already have in Christ. And so, uh, given that fact, I mean, that's... Bottom line is, that says it all, right? Everything we have, we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And it's all a relationship based on grace alone, and faith alone, and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, for the promises of the gospel. And uh, Lord, I just pray that I would grow myself 